Welcome back to this week's episode of the Seatown Podcast, where Seattle business owners, entrepreneurs, and community leaders are invited on to share their stories with us. Well, today, my guest on the Seatown Podcast is my, uh, my friend Christian Castro, who, uh, who pretty much his whole life has had his hand in a gamut of different projects, um, and uh, in my estimation, most things she does turns into, into gold. So I just want to have him on uh, to kind of talk about what he's up to, what, what he's working on, and uh, a little bit of his story and journey along the way and where he came from and uh, where he's going. So thanks for joining me today, Christian. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about maybe your, your, your backstory a little bit, you know, where you're at now, what you do. Um, yeah. Um, so I've, since I was, uh, I guess, a young and I, I started in computers and IT. Um, when I turned 18, um, I applied for uh, the director of IT at our school district, and uh, through certifications and everything, I, I got the job just because uh, we were in a small little town. Um, and then I was in IT for a while until the housing market started to really heat up in Arizona. I grew up in Phoenix, and I kind of uh, I kind of jumped into start flipping houses. You know, IT was just a little bit boring. Um, I, I get bored when I sit still. And then the housing market kind of, the bubble popped, and I packed up my bags and moved to Seattle in search of, uh, of IT work. Um, and now I've kind of landed in a gig that's been a little bit of both. It's uh, the only job I've ever heard of where you go do enterprise IT and a little bit of construction. So that's kind of where I'm at today. Sure, that's pretty, pretty unique. Um, I mean, how do you get to that place? I mean, we. We met when I was working my last brokerage. You, the, the firm you worked for did all of our IT for, for the office. Um, that's kind of how we met, and then you kind of moved on to other, other stuff. You know, how, how did that progress from the time we met onwards? So I've, I've been working IT here in Seattle for a few years, and then I tried to move back to Phoenix, and one of my friends was opening up an IT shop, and he started to become pretty successful, and he, and he started to hire a lot of people. And I had worked with him uh, at previous IT companies, and he he negotiated for months to get me up here to help him run the company. And that's not really what I wanted. I wanted to start something new. And so um, I moved up here, and I gave him two years for um, to get his um, operation cleaned up. And then on the day of my two-year anniversary, I put in my notice, and I found another opportunity for a bigger IT company that had a little bit of construction. And I talked to the owner and I, you know, I told him, I'm like, there's a lot of opportunity here that you're not capitalizing on. Um, and so um, now it's been a little over a year now and uh, we've already sprouted uh, a spin-off company that has to do a lot with construction. So that's kind of uh, what's been happening more recently. Okay. And uh, I don't think we've actually mentioned the, the names of the, the companies yet. So the, the parent group's Reliant Group and then the spin-off is Industry Finishes? Yeah. So Reliant Group, it's funny because they started like 12 years ago as a moving company. And then they evolved into selling furniture uh, and cubicles. And then they got into the, the low voltage and electrical uh, for the cubicles and furniture. And then they got into moving computers and then a little bit into IT. And then somehow they stumbled into a, you know, a big contract with uh, Alaska Airlines. And now they deal with like Amazon and Microsoft and Alaska Airlines. Mm-hmm. And that's where I really saw the opportunity because 
you you have you have the missing pieces in the middle, which is if you're selling the furniture, where's uh, who's doing the paint, who's doing the carpet, who's doing the tile, who's doing the the countertops, and um, I saw this really big uh, opportunity there. Sure. So where um, I guess since the time you came on board to where it is now, what what is that that growth or that trajectory look like? Um, our IT, oh, we just got out of this meeting too, so I got actual numbers. So our IT grew forty percent. Um, That's and, over how long? Oh, since uh, in in all of twenty sixteen. Okay. So we're we're about to cap off the year. So we grew forty percent this year just in IT contracts, um, and we've never actually had a contract with Alaska Airlines. And um, last month we finally signed one. We signed a five year deal with them. So we're locked in there for a while. Um, and then for industry finishes, we started four months ago and um, we've we've netted maybe 25% of the entire company gross. Sure. So obviously it, still in the growth, the, the growth phase of that. Yeah, yeah so th- this year 2016 was definitely a uh, an investment year, mm-hmm. um, but it, I think it set us up for 2017 for uh, starting to drive down um, the costs and start to really uh, look at what the profit's gonna look like. Sure. Now the uh, the last company you were at, the, you know where I where I met you, um, you basically agreed to do come on there for two years, move up here, uh, and kind of help them help them grow that. What? Um, I mean, you're kind of a humble guy, but I mean, <laughs> what what did you kind of take it from when you got there to to where it is now? I mean, I know that seemed like a pretty pretty substantial change. Sure, it was actually pretty small when we started. Um, when I came on, I was the fourth employee. So I was doing a lot of stuff, which was, uh, I was a systems engineer doing some project work, uh, doing tickets, running out, crawling under desks and installing computers, but also doing a little bit of, uh, a little bit of marketing, a little bit of sales calls, a little bit of uh, figuring out processes and procedures. Uh, one of the things that killed us in every previous IT company was not having the proper processes and procedures and not knowing what your effective rate is. Mm-hmm and uh, not knowing how to negotiate the price of your contract because you don't really know what your, uh, what your true EBITDA is. And so we worked a lot in the, on the finance numbers to make sure that everything that we were onboarding was profitable and that we were doing uh, you know, a good job uh, properly vetting new employees, uh, making sure we were utilizing the best that we could and making sure that every single customer that we onboarded had a great effective rate and they were profitable. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, I know some of your your backstory, and I, I would venture to say, you know, by most people's definition, uh, you could be considered a kind of serial entrepreneur. You know, like you love starting up stuff, getting it rolling, and then uh, you know, hanging it off to someone else and moving on to the next thing. Uh, is that is that kind of how you see yourself at at uh, Reliant Group and Industry Finishes, or do you see yourself staying there longer? Are you more invested yeah. as an owner? Or? Yeah, so that's kind of been my the, the problem with myself that I see as kind of what the challenges I have to overcome. And uh, I'm getting to the point where um, I want to put whatever I'm going to put my energy and my savings into that is going to last the next, you know, 10 to 20 to 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I never have a problem thinking I can sell something off and move on to the next company, but I want to make sure that I've, I've exhausted my options. And so... Um, that's kind of why I had that 24 month commitment because I want to start something from scratch and um, I saw an opportunity to grow something not from scratch but to really capitalize on all the the opportunities that were already present mm-hmm. and I think I'd have a better time growing something that had a 
current infrastructure in place. Yeah. And so um, I definitely, uh, I definitely want to stick it out for a long haul and uh, really challenge myself and see uh, ten years from now, you know, whether I make this work or not. Sure. I'd rather, uh, I'd rather gamble my life savings and give it a shot and fail than to play it safe. And it's just, uh, it's always more exciting that way. Yeah. Is that what you've kind of seen? What you've done so far is kind of playing it safe, like while it's still going well, you kind of cash out and move on or? Yeah. I mean, when I was younger, um, I quit my job at the first school district because I teamed up with a friend and we, uh, we developed some software to sell to the school districts and I quit my job, you know, where I was 21 at the time I quit my job and I ran out the door and I started driving to all these schools saying, Hey, I created this really cool piece of software. that's going to save you money. Um, but what I didn't know was all the backend stuff of, well, how do I sign these contracts? What are the legalities of it? Mm-hmm. How do I stay afloat until then? How much life savings do I need to actually make this jump? Um, and then we actually got a, a really good offer from a company that we knew to, to buy us out or at least buy 51% of the company. And we said we didn't want to do it and uh, we wanted to retain control of the company. Um, and then a few months later after that, we called it quits because mm-hmm. we couldn't stay afloat. Sure. So looking, looking back, well, you know, there was a lot of poor decision making, but I think it's also led me to have experiences in many different aspects. Um, that's kind of led me to where I am today. Sure. So, I mean, um, I mean, what, I guess, what do you say like your big lesson from that is, I mean, I, without getting off into the weeds too much, I mean, you've, you've started a number of companies, right? Yes. Uh, how many, how many companies? Um, I had the software company and then I had a, uh, like a general construction company in Phoenix mm-hmm. uh, when the housing market was hot. So really it's only been two. Okay. Um, and then your other involvement has been kind of helping people take what was kind of small and, and scale it. Exactly. I've almost kind of more consulted than I have doing it myself. Okay. Um, so I've learned a lot of different things, but if there was any lessons learned from uh, my failures, it's, it's gaining the experience. So, um, I think there's a lot of people who like to play it safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of one of the things I don't like about, um, you go and get your bachelor's degree and you get a degree and you go on to work a career, um, where I think even when, like, if you talk to our grandparents or some of our parents, mm-hmm. a lot of it was, um, you went to school, but you also started your own company. You became an entrepreneur. And I think today in today's society, a lot more people are looking into what is going to be my career path. And uh, I think we've kind of lost that focus where, uh, you know what, even if you get your degree, you can still become an entrepreneur. Um, and you, I, I, I think people just aren't taking enough risk. Mm-hmm. And I understand why, but, um, you know, you can't really gain a lot if you don't risk a lot. Right. What do you think makes you different in the sense that you're, you're more willing to take that risk and, uh, you know, and not go the conventional route? Um, I think it's um, my parents. So my parents were from Mexico. Um, they migrated here when they uh, turned 18. They got married and they came to the U.S. And my dad was a farmer. My mom and dad were literally picking lettuce at the age of 17. Okay. And it sounds like your typical cliche migrant story. But then you look at that. My dad just retired last year. He's 64. And from... From, you know, from from agriculture? From agriculture. Okay. So you think of this guy who's uh, 16 years old until he was 64, working six, seven days a week, 12, 14, 16-hour days sure. in Arizona in 120-degree weather. 
And, uh, you know, he started as a young kid and then he bought his own tractor and then he started his own company and he did, he did well for himself. He provided for our family. When I was young, I remember, uh, you know, getting used toys for my birthday. Mm. And then, you know, when I was older, when I was 13, my mom went out and financed my first computer at a radio shack for 3000 and my dad almost killed my mom. Nice Tandy computer. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, to this day, you know, she said it was her best investment she's ever done. So you don't real, really realize it until you're older. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all the work that they do, they're really, they're really putting all your life savings into their kids. And so you know that they can work that hard and they can make you successful. Um, and it's to pass on the next generation. When I was working in Phoenix, uh, my biggest competitor was a tile company, uh, Jose Diaz Tile. And I looked him up and Jose Diaz was making 30 million a year in the tile industry. And uh, I was talking to someone who know who knew whose ideas. The guy had like a first grade education, didn't know any English. He came here. He wasn't even a legal citizen, uh-huh. but it was literally you know he came up from tiling for years and getting a small crew together and putting his money together, and he just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And so that's kind of my thing today is that we we have a great education system we have access to capital we have access to whatever we need to resources Mm -hmm. loans Um, the only thing that really is stopping us is uh, the passion desire to be unstoppable if you put me in front of something i will figure out every path to success as i can sure Um, and it's just to keep asking and asking and pressing in every direction okay so it sounds like you, you'd give a lot of credit to your tenacity and figuring out solutions and, and kind of doing it yourself uh, and, and essentially starting something and building it from what you saw in your parents, you know, kind of coming here, not having anything, and then just kind of working their way up and, and to eventually owning his own yeah. business. And- Absolutely. Even, as a, even when I was a young kid, uh, from as far as I can remember, my parents didn't really speak English. Mm-hmm. So even when I was five years old, I was a translator for them. Okay. And when it came, came down to getting a mortgage for their house, it was me talking to the mortgage banker, you know, at eight years old yeah. and um, dealing with their auto finances and dealing with health insurance. Um, so it's always been um, me trying to figure it out at any age for anything that a typical young kid wasn't looking into necessarily. Sure. And so when, it, when I became older and had to depend on myself to do this stuff, I didn't have my parents to kind of lean on. They kind of leaned on me still. Mm-hmm. And to this day, and I'm, and I'm happy to because um, you start to learn a little about, about everything. How to get your general contractor's license and the insurances that come with it and the liabilities. And um, you go through your first, uh, you buy your first house and you understand the mortgage business very well and the different types of loans. And um, you go through buying health insurance for the first time. And there's, there's a lot of things that a lot of people are scared of. I have, I have several employees right now who uh, wanted to buy houses. And I'm like, what's your credit score today? And they have no idea. They don't even know that it's a possibility that they can own a house. They're, you know, they're, they're 23-year-old kids. And I'm like, this is how you check your credit score. This is how you improve it. Go get a secured credit card. Right. This is where you want to be. Go talk to this mortgage broker. And uh, you know, now I have a couple employees who own houses and they're young kids. Yeah. And they just don't know that they could do it. You know, and, and you have to talk about past mistakes. I've, I remember being a young kid and just buying flashy, expensive cars. And they're just depreciating assets where you want to get... Uh, you want to buy... Um, 
a house, something that's going to make you money year over year instead of uh, buying goods that don't really do good for you long term. Sure. I mean, along the way, what do you say that the biggest challenges were for you? I mean, obviously you had a lot of different ventures. Uh, you're essentially in, you know, kind of a, a startup, uh, a startup environment right now. I mean, have those challenges changed uh, or are they just kind of a bigger version of older challenges? No, I think uh, so. I mean, just looking back at a lot of the stuff, even going into construction, I, I thought it was a big success. Uh, I did pretty well for a while. Um, I think the biggest thing is actually, you know, some some things take time. Um, no big business was built over time or, or overnight. Mm -hmm. So it's really um, writing a writing a great plan and sticking to it um, and making sure that uh, you know you're gonna have to change course many times. Um, no one ever went you know, straight on course for, to where they are today, especially the big guys. Right. Um, so I think it's true what they say is, you know, like the whole Edison thing where he found a hundred different ways to not make a light bulb, but he was the first to really make a light bulb. And that's kind of how you do it. You, you have to go through a hundred failures to get through your first success. Sure. Um, yeah, man, I think it was, I probably, probably miss, uh, attributing this quote, but I think it was Steve Jobs that that said that the uh, that you know it takes takes years you know to make an overnight success you know uh, essentially implying that like there's no such thing as overnight success there's a whole bunch of hard work and then they get on the radar and people think just you know happened overnight you know yeah and that's and I think we kind of get disillusioned by that today because um, these big high tech companies like Instagram was you know a two year startup and then they're worth four billion Uber mm -hmm. is also two years old and they're one of the highest value companies at like 30 billion um but you know these are these are like pipe dreams who are investors backing right. investors backing investors right. and that's really not the way that anyone's really going to be successful and that you know that's just the 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 five top companies in the world sure it's like point zero 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 five percent of all businesses sure. that start up are going to be you know that. but then you talk about like um i remember when the recession really hit uh, the housing market recession hit and then like 2009 2010 Detroit was a ghost town and then you saw um, a bunch of stories of like 50% of every new business was like uh, a, a Hispanic immigrant popping up a taco shop mm -hmm. and it's like if there was a will there's there's a way I mean sure. there's there, opportunity there when there's absolutely opportunity now. exactly so and there's opportunity everywhere and that's the thing that um, a lot of a lot of my friends and family are always like, "How do you find these opportunities?" And the opportunities are there for everyone. There, there's just too many, and it's really focusing on one and what you're really passionate about. Sure. And for me, construction real estate has always been kind of a passion for me um, since I was young, and so has computers. And now I'm kind of running with both. Mm -hmm. But um, at some point, you know, I'm, it's going to have to be one or the other. It's it's really hard to really grow and focus uh, in too many directions. Sure. Um... I mean, what would you say that the future holds for you as far as, you know, focusing down your passions to? Um, I think definitely it's going to be something with uh, like construction, investment, and real estate. Um, it's just, it's never ending. That market keeps growing. Um, and IT really has a limit to it um, as far as, uh, I guess none of them really have limits, but I guess I'm a little bit more passionate about um, building something physical um, and dealing more with people than uh, with computer systems. Mm -hmm. um, I know as a kid, I was really passionate about the IT stuff, but uh, I think there's something now with uh, with building and construction that 
Um, I, I love even just going over design of a house or the design of a bathroom or a kitchen or picking up materials and then seeing it to fruition. It's, um, uh, it feels a little bit better in the end than uh, designing some process on how to meet PCI compliance for sure. credit card transactions across different kiosks at airports. Sure. At the end of the, end of the day, you can step back and say, hey, look what I built with my hands. You know, a, little more, a little more satisfaction than that than yeah. something living in the virtual world all in you know, electrons. And exactly. And, and, and I, I really enjoy both. But at the end, I guess if I were retired and I could do whatever I want, I would probably just keep building houses. Okay. Do you, do you envision that you'll be able to do that where you're at as far as kind of shifting more from the IT world to the construction, you know, industrial finishes, as it were? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, we're already off to a good start. Right now, I'm more trying to uh, make sure I get the right team in place. Um, I think that's kind of where a lot of companies have trouble is that uh, I always say you need a person who's five out of five stars. And I think a lot of people hold on to people who are four out of five stars. And they, they try to make it fit when in the long run, if you're anytime you want to make a plan on a company, mm-hmm. you can't think of six months ahead or one year ahead. Um, at some point, you got to think of what does my five year plan look like, even though you don't know what it's going to look like. Sure. You got to start to think is the right or is the right person today in the seat on the bus of where this is taking us. Right. Um, so that now that we're starting something kind of new um, with the interior finishes, um, I want to make sure that we have the right people in place so sure. that company can scale. Um, I think that's some of our other challenges is, you know, some people want perfection. I want to retain 100% of my customers. I'm actually of the reverse mantra. Um, you got to let the worst 5% go to net the, the, the better 10% in the front. Okay. Um, if you're going to look at, you know, a lot of people have their dreams of like, oh, I want to be a $10 million company or a $100 million year company. You can't do that with 100% retention or satisfaction. And you really have to make sure that you can trust the people. Uh, you know, they always say hire smarter than people than you are mm-hmm. to really take care of your business and to really trust that they're going to do their job so you can focus on the growth. Yeah. Um, you know, you made a good to great you know, reference in the, you know, getting the right people on the bus. Um, regarding kind of the, not just, you know, being short, uh, short-sighted, but having kind of a five-year plan, what's your philosophy on, because um, I've kind of heard recently, you know, that it's becoming more invoked, kind of say, well, the world's changing at such unprecedented rate, can you even do a five-year plan? Because, you know, kind of how things are done uh, are changing so rapidly that in two years, maybe your whole business model is not going to work anymore. Yeah, and I, and I get it really because coming from the IT world, but I, I completely think that is still a very, very valid thought that you can absolutely plan for five and ten years from now. I remember ten years from ten years ago, uh, my friend who was the one who brought me up for his IT company, we were working at a different IT company, and he was a partner there too. And I remember them saying, we have maybe two or three years left in IT services before everything gets outsourced to the cloud. Has the cloud been successful and has there been a massive adoption rate? Absolutely. But IT service providers have also, you know, changed the services they provide to kind of go with that. Sure. Um, it's the same with uh, almost any kind of industry as it adapts. Um, you know, even automated cars, um, it doesn't mean that in 10 years you can stop to think that, you know, 
gas powered cars are going to stop being manufactured or that cars are going to be driving us so we don't need parking garages mm-hmm. um, it's going to take time to adopt any kind of standard so even uh, yeah it's going to take 10 20 30 years sure well even i mean especially if it's going to require revamping an entire uh, system or industry or infrastructure. I mean, you can't just be like, "Hey, they got this new technology. We're just going to replace all the power lines in America." Exactly. Like, yep. Exactly. <laughs> so that's why I say even a five, ten year plan, I think, is still valid. And you're always going to change, uh, you know, course along the way. Mm-hmm. But um, you should be hitting a good portion of your five year plan. Okay. Um, so going back to uh, a couple minutes ago, you're kind of talking about the, uh, I think you're saying that the carpentry business or the tile business, you know, you thought was pretty successful. Um, with where you are today, what does success look like for you? What, what, what do you, what's your target that you're aiming at right now? Right now, I would love to, uh, at least for next year business, uh, it's going to be a year to year plan, but, um, to see, a, at least myself double next year. And we've already set the bar high for the first few months of business for this year. We only got a little over a quarter this year uh, with the new company mm-hmm. but as long as we continue to grow at a substantial rate and um, and still really enjoy what I do um, because that's that's another part that's really important to me is um, I take a lot of uh, I think a lot about what I want to do and um, what's important to me and I think a lot of it is, uh, as you get older, you know, you start to realize friends and family and what you do, even at a philanthropical level, is very, very important because really you can't, you can't take the money with you. And I know that's such an easy thing to say, but, uh, you know, my last friend who had an IT company, he was like, you should join us. And I'm like, you know, I don't really like everybody who's on this bus. And while he's one of my best friends and I love to, um, I also didn't want to spend my next 20 years with, uh, you know, being co-owners with uh, some of the people on that bus. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was more important to uh, make sure that I, you know, I'm partnered up with someone that I want to spend the next 20 years with sure. and not be in a, in a bad marriage. Sure. Yeah. Very, very important. I mean, if you can partner, you got to <laughs> make sure it's going to, it's going to work out. It's, um, so kind of getting into, uh, you know, obviously, there's you know when you're in when you're an entrepreneur and you know you've got vested interest in your business. There's it's hard to have a delineation between kind of the personal and and the work. Um, but this this next section kind of gets a little more into the the personal side of things. Uh, what does the first ninety minutes of each day look like for you? Um, right now, it's actually trying to uh, respond to everything that's happened the night before. Um, it's been a seven day a week job right now because it's a, not only do I have a full-time job and it's busy season, but we started a new company and really it's just looking at, uh, making sure that things don't fall off the rails. Okay. So, um, there's a lot of processes and legal paperwork that has to go in with construction, uh, new systems and tracking the costs versus sale prices, um, versus scheduling versus making the clients happy and then ordering uh, we just had a big job where uh, we barely got our products ordered in on time mm-hmm. and then uh, believe it or not the the snow day that happened delivered our shipment by one day 
which means the flooring couldn't acclimate over the weekend in the job site, so then we couldn't install, and now we've been delayed for a week hmm. uh, by missing one day of a FedEx shipment. So it's uh, it's really just shepherding all the pieces. Um, at the same time, it's just uh, shepherding all the employees who are kind of new to some of the new company stuff mm -hmm. and uh, making sure uh, we make sure that the least amount of mistakes have, are going to be made. Sure. And there's been a lot of mistakes already. Okay. And uh, that's to be expected, and we're okay with that. Um, I'd like to press people to make more mistakes than not because the less uh, decisions they make, it means that I'm going to have to decide and it, there's less of what you can do in a day. Sure. So I mean, with all that stuff that has to be done, are you doing that directly? Are you more kind of managing the people that are doing it? And Just managing the people. You know, there's there's too many moving pieces right now. And if we're going to... If we're going to keep scaling how we want to, it's really just guiding the people to understand what decisions they can make mm -hmm. and that it's okay to fail. Uh, I mean, the Scott, who's the owner of Reliant Group, you know, he always says in all his meetings, "I want you to guys to go out today and, and fail somewhere," because that means you're making decisions, and uh, the only way you can really learn is to make some bad decisions. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like a, a pretty healthy culture you're not you know so risk averse that you're gonna stifle the growth with it before it even takes off yeah. exactly i mean we've already made uh, we've already made some decisions where we're like okay we're never going to do that again sure um, but, but you're also empowering the, the people of the company to take ownership of that you're not trying to micromanage it you're giving them some, some exactly some control and vested interest in the outcome yeah and maybe and maybe I, I don't micromanage to a fault you know for me it's like I want to see I want to take off the training wheels and see how far someone can get mm -hmm. um, and then maybe they, they fall and scrape themselves a little bit before I come and help sure uh, and for me um, that's how that's kind of how I want to be treated and that's how I want to treat others yeah what uh, what would you say is your greatest strength for me I think it's um, looking looking uh, not only at the bigger picture, but seeing it from 30 different perspectives. Um, I think with human element of business and relationships and communication, uh, I think I'd like to think that everybody's perspective is valid and no one's really wrong because everyone has a unique perspective. Um, so I think just looking at every possible angle, um, but trying to assess it quickly uh, lets you kind of make better decisions that is going to make sure everyone's happy. Okay. What is a, what is one habit that you wish you had? Um, I think it's going to be, uh, better, clear and more accurate and timely execution. Um, you know, I think sometimes, uh, you have to decide and be the bad guy. And I think that's the hardest part of being in business is making, making the decisions in time and executing. Mm -hmm. uh, what boundaries have you set up to keep yourself from being distracted, uh, whether that's by technology or, or other time suckers? Um, right now, it's, um, it's really prioritizing as far as, um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities everywhere, and that's kind of always been my distraction in the yeah. past. And it's saying, I'm going to commit to this and put my blinders on. Um, and even right now in the industry finishes, we have a lot of opportunities. Uh, people are asking us to do general construction. I want you to do this and that. And 
um, and I want you to do the labor portion. Mm -hmm. And I've been really trying to stay away from managing people, managing jobs, and managing labor. Um, and so really forcing ourselves to put on the blinders, even if that means turning down money right now. Because in the if we start to take on every job right now, mm -hmm. we're not going to be able to put the infrastructure in place to scale because then we'll be stuck project managing instead of growing. Sure. Um, I mean, I'd imagine that dealing in the space you are, that's going to be pretty challenging. I mean, I, I know for me, I had a big turnaround in my real estate business when I kind of saw the pattern that so many agents spun their wheels because they're always saying yes to opportunities that came to them. So they were never directing their business or where they went because they're just responding to outside stimulation. And if you're saying, you know, yes to those opportunities, you know, you have to essentially say no to other ones. Uh, and you're never really directing the de your own destiny, you know? Well, that's exactly right. We've even had some big financial opportunities that are kind of out of scope of what we do. And it's like, is this really what I signed up to do? And if it's not, sure. you have to turn it down because you're really distracting yourself from that five-year plan. Mm -hmm. So it's it's always going back to that five-year plan, and that's why it's so important to have it. Because if it doesn't meet the, the technical scope of what you're trying to achieve, then it's only getting you further from where you want to be. Right. Um, in the past, what was holding you back from becoming the, the entrepreneur uh, that you are today? Um, I think a little bit of uh, the financial fall from moving here after doing the contracting business, um, trying to chase too many opportunities. Okay, back to that, that theme of not, not saying no to enough opportunities. Exactly. <laughs> uh, what's the best advice that you've ever received? I, I think it's just... Uh, maybe from my dad it's just you know work hard so you don't have to work hard now so you don't have to work hard later okay uh do you listen to podcasts i i do what what are your favorite ones right now oh i forget casey i forget his last name but he was the one who um he does a lot of philanthropy work and he was a big hollywood producer and so there was this big uh, casey neidstadt um other than that, lots of random ones. I've been doing lots of random ones on Spotify as well. Okay. So it's been it's been kind of fun listening to just the different random ones and some of them I really like. Okay. Yeah, Spotify is uh, challenging to get on. You can't just submit your podcast to them. Like they just pick they pick ones they want. Sure. Yeah. So most of the other podcast platforms, you can actually submit it, and there's a process. Spotify, there's not. So it's kind of weird. But um, if you could recommend just one book to our listeners, what would it be? One book, wow. Um, I think uh, there's one, I think it's the latest one, like Emotional Intelligence. I think it's like, they had 2.0 and 3.0. I'm not sure which one, uh, but I read the latest one. It's just, uh, it's definitely interesting because you could read all the business books in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think some people, uh, Emotional Intelligence not only lets you perform well, um, and being aware in business, but also in your personal life as well. And I, I think there's been a lot of disconnect with that. So I think emotional intelligence is the most basic that I think would work for everyone. Okay. Now, if our listeners aren't familiar, familiar with that term, could you explain it real quick? Sure. Uh, emotional intelligence is just being aware of how people communicate, um, how to tell when someone's upset or they're not really interested in what you have to pitch. Um, and. I mean, in sales, you have to be aware if someone you've, you've talked too much or they're not interested. And it's the same in your personal relationships. Um, 
at work, um, knowing when an employee is hurt or if they feel afraid or if they feel confused. Um, it's really knowing how to respond to them and how to really communicate when it's not just words. It's really um, outside of words, giving them what they need, whether that's praise or, um, you know, being a little bit more upfront with them. It's just really how to communicate with other human beings. Okay. So it's kind of intricacies of, of human relationships. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, uh, in wrapping up, um, would you mind giving us a piece of parting guidance and then maybe letting us know how, uh, if someone wants to get in touch with you, how they could do that? Sure. Um, I think my, my guidance for this year is, um, you know, I've been reading all these little like Buddha quotes and one of my favorite ones is just, uh, you know, we all think that we have time, but we don't. Um, and that becomes truer and truer every day. So, uh, we, you know, they say live, live your day like it's your last day. Um, one day that's going to be true for all of us. Very true. Very, very zen. Yeah. Um, so how, how can our listeners get a hold of you if, you, if they have any questions or want to kind of follow what, what you're up to? Sure. Um, just probably my, my personal email, uh, christian.castro um, at gmail.com. Okay. Do you have any, uh, I don't know, particular pitch or anything? Any promotion you want to put out since, since I got you here? Um, no, not really. I mean, we, we deal a lot with uh, big business and, um, you know, I, I love I love philanthropy stuff as well. Um, if anybody's passionate about anything, I, I really like to talk about that. I love politics and philanthropy uh, probably more than I do business. But, you know, you got to pay the bills, too. Sure. So if someone wants to buy you a beer, you're, uh, you're all ears. Give, it, give you a call. I can talk beer all day. Okay. Brewing beer, drinking beer, and discussing politics and philanthropy outside of that gotcha well thank you christian uh for joining me today the uh one of the the few renaissance mans i i know of still in existence <laughs> all right thanks for having me all right thanks well that wraps up this week's episode of the c-town podcast make sure to check out our guest website support what they're doing and show them some love if you liked what you heard on this podcast, let us know by writing us a very nice five-star review on iTunes and subscribing. You can also find out more about me and other projects I'm working on by visiting ctown.com. Today's intro and outro music is courtesy of the Fascination Movement. You can find their albums in the iTunes store. The Seatown podcast creator and host is Christian Harris. This has been a Seatown Media production. Music.